On Easter Sunday, 2013, the southbound side of I-77 near the North Carolina and Virginia border was closed for hours following a massive chain of accidents. Police later reported that 17 different collisions involved 95 cars and trucks. The wrecks left three people dead and more than two dozen injured, many of them seriously. And the cause of the accidents was people driving into a thick fog that descended over the interstate that Sunday afternoon. A police spokesman said, visibility at the time this accident occurred was down to about 100 feet or less. As people continued to drive blindly forward, they could not see the danger that was just ahead until it was too late. Prudence reminds us to be on guard for danger, not just in the present, but in the future as well. Because of the way our minds work, we often tend to discount what may happen in the future simply because it hasn't happened yet. As Proverbs 27:12 says, a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. So as we start a new series today on Proverbs, Old Testament Twitter, let it remind us that it was given to us to give us wisdom and prudence as we enter the thick fog of life and encourage us to proceed carefully. After all, living the Christian life is not a playground. It is a battleground. Now, the book of Psalms and Proverbs go together like a horse and carriage like peas and carrots. They fit together beautifully and they complement one another neatly. Psalms, you see, is a workbook on worship. Psalms teaches us how to worship God. What is the proper way to address him, to worship him? Proverbs is a workshop in wisdom. Proverbs teaches us how to navigate life with wisdom and understanding. You see, Psalms will take your heart to heaven. Proverbs will keep your feet on the ground. Psalms is a book that you take to your prayer closet. Proverbs is a book that you take to work. Psalms is a book that you take to the sanctuary at church. Proverbs is a book that you take to the area where you work. Proverbs is the wisdom of God revealed to the human race. In this great book, God's wisdom is concentrated and compiled into 31 chapters. And if you, you could read one chapter of Proverbs every day for the month, of course, not every month ends on 31, but, but you can get through it. And as mentioned in the introduction to Proverbs, this is ideal for studying one chapter of Proverbs each day of the month. The subjects addressed are the important ones of life. In this most practical of all Bible books, the wisdom of God is imparted to us through one of the wisest men of all time, King Solomon of Israel. The wisdom conveyed through him is timeless and therefore relevant to every age and every generation. And by God's divine plan, the person who uses this manual as a guide will be qualified to deal with every important area of life. The book paves a path that, if followed, leads to fulfillment and success. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying prosperity gospel here. I'm talking success in God's economy. I just have to clarify. 
Instruction manuals and self-help books are abundant in our culture by so-called experts. They seem to have all the answers for how to be a successful business person, student, husband, wife, lover, friend, cook, social media influencer, actor, and on and on it goes. How to be happy, how to be rich, how to be skinny, how to build your self-esteem. There seems to be a YouTube channel for everything. Even though there's tons of advice out there on a wide array of subjects, they are not all completely trustworthy or reliable. Some advice is helpful, but a lot of it, let's be honest and frank, it is completely worthless. Now, this book of Proverbs is unmatched in its instruction for successful living. Now, don't confuse that with the world's definition of success. The definition of success that God displays through this book is his definition, and it is sustainable, it is long-lasting, and it is reliable. It addresses life's most important decisions, problems, and questions. Unlike other manuals, Proverbs is the inspired word of God that elevates it above any other. Well, why is this book reliable? Because it was given by God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Solomon. You see, wisdom is not merely a concept or an idea. It is a person. It is the person of Jesus Christ. Our culture is so devoid of wisdom as we see the next generation live by feelings rather than truth. These Proverbs are truth compiled into 31 chapters. When Solomon came to power and took the throne of his father David, Israel had come to its greatest zenith of power. It was literally the most powerful kingdom on earth, arguably. God prospered the people of Israel through David, also called a man after God's own heart. And so Solomon had quite large shoes to fill, and he knew it. So when Solomon was inaugurated as king, the Lord came to him and asked a very simple question. Ask me anything, anything you want, and I will grant it to you. And Solomon prayed and answered the Lord, You have shown great and steadfast love to David my father, and have made me king in this place. O Lord God, let your word to David my father be now fulfilled. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people, for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? The Lord answered and said, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or life, or those of the, uh, for the life of those who hate you, and have not even asked for a long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king, Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings who had were before you, and none after you shall have the light. So scripture tells us that Solomon was the wisest man in the world, to such a degree that people would travel thousands of miles to hear him give wisdom on a variety of subjects. And because of God's tremendous hand on his life, Solomon's prosperity and expansion were unmatched compared to any king in history. Some scholars amass his wealth to about two to three, not billion, trillion dollars. 
Yes, that's with a T. In today's comparison. Solomon's achieved prosperity and success through ingenious reforms and innovations such as improvement of Israel's defense measures and many, many other projects. In fact, during Solomon's reign, he controlled the trade routes coming out of Eden, Edom, Arabia, India, Africa, and Judea. And according to the scripture, the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedars as abundant as sycamores, which are in the lowland. Second Chronicles chapter 1. In his spare time, he wrote several songs. He wrote 3,000 proverbs. He wrote a book on biology, zoology, and many different fields. People came from all over the world to sit and to hear his wisdom as he would expound on a variety of subjects, plants, animals, nature, life, philosophy, you name it. He, he, would, he would give it. The Bible tells us he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Many of these wives were foreign women who worshiped different gods. He was allured by these gods and he strayed from the Lord. Let that resonate with us, brothers and sisters. How many things have you or I brought into our home that allure us away from the Lord? We need to be rid of them and devote our hearts solely to Christ. Unfortunately, Solomon in his later years quit listening to his own wisdom. It really wasn't his, it was God's, but you, you get the picture. The same advice that he's passing down to his son which these Proverbs are written in the first eight chapters. So we end up seeing tragic results of this, which is reflected in the writings of the book of Ecclesiastes. He was a man who had it all, everything anyone could wish for, and yet he cried out against the emptiness and frustration he felt in his life. Verse 7 explains more of this in depth. So let's dive into this Old Testament Twitter these Proverbs, by the way, these Proverbs are not promises. It doesn't mean that if you follow these and do these, that it's all going to turn out hunky dory. These are general life Proverbs. It says there in verse one, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to know wisdom so here is the whole point of the book of Proverbs to know wisdom. So what is the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Knowledge is the gathering of facts and information. Wisdom is knowing how to apply those facts and information. Knowledge is information gained through experience, reasoning, or acquaintance. Wisdom is the ability to, 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 to ugh, I can't talk to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. Knowledge tells you that rat poison, what rat poison is, but wisdom tells you not to put it in your morning cup of coffee. Knowledge tells you what a grizzly bear is. Wisdom tells you not to go near it. Knowledge tells you what a gun is and how to use it. Wisdom is knowing when to use it and when to keep it holstered. This is for you young people. Knowledge tells you that Tide Pods are laundry detergent to clean your clothes. Wisdom should tell you not to put it in your mouth and swallow it on TikTok. 
God help us. Knowledge tells you that there is a God and instinctively you know who he is. Wisdom is fearing him and surrendering your life to him. Of course, you can have knowledge without wisdom, but you can't have it the other way around. I mean, just look at our politicians and celebrities. They know a lot of stuff, but they're not very wise. Some guys have doctorate degrees, PhDs, but are not very wise people. In fact, it might as well stand for piled higher and deeper. <laughs> it's not a knock on education, but y'all get what I mean. I mean, I'm not that smart. I didn't wear a bike helmet as a kid. Um, God wants us to have knowledge of him and what he expects of us. In order to obey him, we have to have the knowledge of his commands. But having wisdom is equally important as having knowledge, something our culture is devoid of. We live in a culture where people go by their feelings as truth more than the, than the truth of scripture itself. Feelings are important, but truth is preeminent. If you choose to live by how you feel and not by the truth of God's word and being led by the spirit of God, then your life will be filled with chaos, uncertainty, fear, insecurity, and on it goes. And on it goes. But if you live your life by God's wisdom in the scriptures, by his spirit, then there's stability, certainty, a solid ground, a firm foundation and when you live by the truth of God's word your feelings will follow your feelings were made to be set on God through Jesus Christ to feel the warmth of God's love and to sit securely in his presence knowing facts about God in the Bible is not wisdom obeying him is wisdom Wisdom is a gift from God. In fact, the devil himself is an expert theologian. Oh yeah, he knows more about scripture than you or I. And he tried to trip Jesus up in the temptation by trying to get him, get him to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple so that the angels would catch him and he would look like a rock star. The devil did it by quoting and manipulating scripture in Psalm 91. James 1.5 states this, quote, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. God blesses us with wisdom in order for us to glorify him and to use the knowledge we have of him. Now the word to know there when Solomon says to know wisdom is the Hebrew word yada. Uh, it doesn't mean yada, yada, yada. Oh, come on. That was funny. Throw, throw, throw me a bone here. Mm. Yes. Is that a tomato? Oh, that's all right. The word, <laughs> the word yada is widely used in the Old Testament. Its meaning includes revealing or teaching. It means to receive, to learn, to understand, and to experience whatever is being taught. So the Proverbs teach us wisdom, Hebrew word, chokmah. They make us skillful in living. And God desires us to be skillful and successful in living our lives in him. The word wisdom is used of craftsmen who built the tabernacle, Exodus 31.6, of experienced sailors, Psalm 107.27, and of people who have administrative ability, 1 Kings 3.28. 
Wisdom is not mere knowledge, information, or education. Wisdom is just not a mental exercise, but an outward demonstration of a person's conduct and life. Jesus puts it this way as he's addressing the Pharisees in Matthew 28. He says, but what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not, but afterward regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he said, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? The Pharisees answered the first, and Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Those are chilling words. The Pharisees thought they were in God's good graces because they agree with him. The believed word was true, but they were disobedient and unrepentant. It's not enough to just know God, to know about God, Wisdom is obeying him. Solomon goes on to say, to know wisdom and instruction. So Solomon is telling his son to know wisdom and instruction. This was an instructor-student relationship. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but who hates correction is stupid. Proverbs 12, 1. This book of Proverbs is designed to instruct you and me. This is not... A buffet. This is not the golden corral. You can't pick and choose what you like or you don't like. And it's clear, the more you love being instructed by God and his word, the more you will grow in insight and understanding about the deep things of life. If you refuse, well, then this verse says, you're stupid. I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you what the word says. Listen. It's good that God in his grace instructs us in his ways. It is so that we will be the best version of ourselves in Jesus Christ. And then Solomon tells his son there to understand words of insight. Have you ever been to a mall and looked into one of those digitized pictures that looks like a complete jumbled mess? And if you look long enough and look hard enough, you will see a 3D representation of a figure in it. This is called magic eye art. Magic Eye was something of a paradox, a deliberate graphic mess that relied on these grids and precision to achieve an intended effect. The fact that it was so difficult to see the 3D shape hiding behind a hyper-colored patterns was a major part of its appeal. Now, I added an image of the Magic Eye art there at the bottom of the live stream page in the Hill City app, if you want to take a look at it right now. I'll, I'll give you a second. See if you can see what it is. <clears throat> now that you've had a chance to look at it, what do you see? It's Jesus. And that's what Solomon means when he says here in verse 2b to understand words of insight, to perceive and know insights about God and life and deeper things about God's nature and character, which informs everything else. The more you perceive Jesus, 
similar to the way that you see him in the magic art piece below, the more you will see life and understand wisdom the way it was meant and the wiser you will become. The more, the bigger, the more, more so the more you see Christ, the, more, the bigger the picture will become. This is what the Lord wants us to have. A deeper understanding of himself, which gives us a deeper understanding of everything else. That's wisdom. After all, Jesus isn't just a giver of wisdom. He is wisdom itself. He is the embodiment of wisdom. Wisdom is not an idea or a philosophy or a system. It is a person. If you want to get to know wisdom, then get to know Jesus. Verse 3. To receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity. So this verse here expands on the purpose of verse 2. The purpose is Solomon's son and us to be instructed here in four things. Number one, in wise dealing. Now the word wise or wisdom here in this verse is not the same word that's used in verse 2. Verse 2, the Hebrew word is yada. This word is sakal, which carries with it the ability of oneself to be prudent, to be circumspect, and to widely understand. It describes someone who has the ability to govern, them, govern themselves and make wise choices. This, this does not describe someone who jumps the gun or lives life in a compulsive manner. Rather, it describes someone who thinks through various situations and weighs them against prudence and God's word. It describes someone who looks at the Lord and says, Lord, if I do this thing or date that person or post this thing on social media or look at this explicit content on my computer, TV, phone, or take this drink, what are the implications? That's wisdom. Will this bring you glory, Lord? And is it wise? This wisdom describes someone who doesn't look for the path of least resistance, but looks for the path of the greatest glory to God. So which one are you? Do you seem to make decisions without thinking through or pondering, weighing the consequences? Or are you like a Nike ad? Just do it! Whichever way you choose will reflect whether you live a life of wisdom or not. So number one, wise dealing. Number two, in righteousness. This describes someone who is able to conform to the will and standards of God by yielding his, to his spirit. This describes someone whose practical righteousness matches up with one's positional righteousness. There is a display of holiness in their lives. If you remember a few sermons back, I gave the illustration of giving my son Sage a hug and I accidentally stepped on his pristine white puma sneakers. It is a sin that I am still paying for to this day. I have scarred him for the rest of his life. He immediately pushed me away from my fatherly embrace and proceeded to make his holy pumas clean after I so sinfully smudged them. Those shoes are set apart. Those shoes are holy. They are there on display for the world to see. You see, a wise person keeps their soul clean before God the same way my son Sage keeps his pumas clean. If they sin, they immediately repent and seek cleansing from Christ, which he does willingly. 
Number three, injustice. The word justice here implies the ability of a person to deal wisely with others around them. In our culture, the word justice is associated with things like Black Lives Matter, inequality, taking care of the poor, etc. It has many different uh, shapes and sizes. But the difference between the definition, that definition versus the biblical definition describes someone who brings the righteousness of God into the dealings with others so as to reconcile them to God by faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the culture's goal in, in, its, just, in its form of justice is to change a behavior. The goal in God's justice is to reconcile people to God through Jesus and change the heart. The problem with the culture's definition of justice is it doesn't address the root issue or the cause. God's justice does and has a proper solution for it. You see, if we brought the gospel to bear, people will stop being racist. People will stop doing evil things. The gospel is the only solution that we have. And Solomon goes on to say, and in equity. An equitable person is someone who is fair and impartial in his or her dealings and lives in a manner that's pleasing. We see an example of this. In Acts 4, chapter 33 through 35, and it says, quote, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessor of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. God did such a work of the gospel through the Holy Spirit, that the, the church was extremely equitable. Each person didn't see a need to have an overabundance of stuff. So they sold their land and provided for those in need. It was more important to the early church to be equitable the way Jesus was equitable towards them. And it didn't matter whether you were a Jew, a Gentile, a Greek, a slave, a free. The church took care of those who were in need. They showed no partiality, no prejudice. Now, verse four, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. The, what does it mean to give prudence to the simple? The word simple describes someone who is naive and untaught. Now, don't confuse this with someone who's an idiot, who cannot comprehend, or someone who despises wisdom. This describes a person who has limited experience and exposure to life. Because of this inexperience, this person can be gullible and easily influenced. This person needs prudence or the ability to be trained and taught in life. There was a freshman at Eagle Rock Junior High School back in 1997. And he entered the Greater Idaho uh, Fall Science Fair. And he was attempting to show how conditioned we've become to alarmists practicing junk science and spreading fear of everything in our environment. And in his project, he urged people to sign a petition demanding strict control or total elimination of the chemical dehydrogen monoxide. And for plenty of good reasons, since it can cause excessive sweating and vomiting, it is a major component in acid rain, it can cause severe burns in a gaseous state, accidental in inhalation can kill you, it decreases effectiveness of automobile brakes. 
It has been found in tumors of terminal cancer patients. He asked 50 people if they supported the ban of this chemical, and 43 said yes, six were undecided, and only one knew what the chemical actually was. H2O, water. The title of his prize-winning project was How Gullible Are We? And he feels the conclusion is obvious. See, knowledge and discretion to the youth. And notice Solomon touches on the knowledge and discretion for youth. There's really not much to explain here. It's self-explanatory. And the saying goes, in order to be old and wise, you first have to be young and stupid. (laughs) Young people, this is for you. Listen carefully. You don't know everything. You won't solve the world's problems. And know the plans you make for yourselves will not always work out. But the best thing you can do is listen to your elders here at Hill City Church and the people around you. You see, we've been around the block a few times. This thing called life. And we can save you a lot of pain and a lot of heartache if you allow us to impart wisdom to you. Both biblically and experientially. Verse five, let the wise hear and increase in learning and the other and the one who understands and obtains guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Excuse me. So Solomon says, for the wise, these proverbs will make you even wiser. And for those with understanding and their discernment trained You will have the ability to be guided in life in a proper and successful way. In addressing the Jewish Christians maturity in the book of Hebrews, the author writes, I think it's Paul. uh, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. For you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. These believers were staying stagnant in their walk with Jesus, not moving forward in greater things pertaining to salvation, not exercising their faith in wisdom so that their spiritual faculties of discernment could be honed and sharpened. Where are you at in your walk with Christ? Are you choosing to remain stagnant and stale and comfortable? Choosing to remain comfortable rather than pursuing Christ? Your faith is a muscle that needs to be exercised or it will atrophy and it will shrivel up because it is not used. If you don't pursue Christ, then your soul will shrivel up. You won't grow. I even know someone in my own family who in his mid-60s continues to live in and out of homeless shelters, continues to turn to alcohol to medicate his problems. He's never allowed himself to face adversity and lean solely on Christ. And now he professes Christ and he shows repentance in areas of his life. And he knows scripture pretty well, but his faith is one of convenience. He's never allowed himself to grow. 
And to this day, he's so prideful that he casts the blame on everyone else but himself. He has a victim mentality. Should he allow himself to experience God's faithfulness in hard times, he would grow and flourish. Wisdom is allowing God to work in your heart, even if it's painful. It's to make you and I stronger. And there should be a consistent appetite to learn knowledge and wisdom. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then his spirit drives you to know more and more of him and his wisdom. So to understand a proverb, Solomon says, and saying the words of of the wise and the riddles. So what does Solomon mean by understanding proverbs and riddles? The idea is it's not like the, the Riddler in the Batman cartoon. Although he was one of my favorite villains. Um, the idea is that Proverbs here sharpens the mind with parabolic speech. That it needs me- these Proverbs that we're going to study, they need meditation and interpretation. These Proverbs are like an onion whereby the layers need to be pulled back and examined. The idea of riddles here describes the study of the scriptures to unlock the wisdom and the perplexities of life. In fact, it says in Proverbs 25 too, it is the glory of God to conceal things, but it is the glory of kings to search them out. These Proverbs were designed to produce more and more wisdom in your life and in mine. To search them out as you would gold or silver, to chase them down and unlock things you wouldn't otherwise know. And here in verse 7, look at it with me. This is the creme de la creme right here. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what is the key that unlocks wisdom? It is this verse right here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning or the chief most important part of wisdom. Foolish people don't reverence, obey, listen, or humbly bow to Jesus. Proverbs 9.10 simplifies this even more where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There's at least 18 references to the fear of the Lord in Proverbs. It is rehashed over and over again because Solomon doesn't want us to forget it. Excuse me. He lost the fear of the Lord later in his life, but now he is rehashing that to his son, the most important aspect of wisdom itself. You cannot live a life of success or wisdom without a healthy, respectful fear of God. And we must acknowledge it in our hearts. He's the creator. We're the creatures. He's the father. We're his children. He's the master. We're his servants. Fearing God means respecting him for who he is. To listen carefully to his word and his commandments. Knowing that our disobedience displeases him and breaks our fellowship with him. And invites his discipline in our lives. It's not the kind of fear that a, 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 a slave has before his master. No, it, this, is a, this is a reverential, respectful fear of the child to the parent. See, Tara and I will celebrate 25 years of marriage this September. And God has truly done amazing things in our marriage. And I love her now more than I ever did 
that day 25 years ago in San Diego when we were standing at that altar. And because of the relationship we have, I fearfully respect my wife. I'm kind of scared of her too, but I fearfully respect her. I mean, I knew I married Mrs. Wright. I just didn't know her first name was always. Um, I'm not afraid of her, but I'm afraid of offending her, of hurting her. So I try and choose my words carefully towards her. Now, it doesn't always work out. Um, Open mouth, insert foot, foot and mouth disease. But my fear is motivated by my love for her and my affection toward her. And it's the same way with God, ladies and gentlemen. There's such a deep love for him because of what Jesus has done for us. Man, you don't want to offend him. You don't want to mess up that sweet fellowship with Jesus. That relationship that you have with him that he's he's provided for you. And Charles Bridges, a preacher and a theologian in the Church of England back in the 1800s, defines what it means to fear God adequately. He says, quote, It is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. His wrath is so bitter and his love is so sweet that it hence springs an earnest desire to please him. And because of the danger of coming short from his own weakness and temptations, a holy watchfulness and fear that he might not sin against him. End quote. In the Chronicles of Narnia, which is an allegory by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis writes these two girls in the story named Susan and Lucy. You might have seen the movie. They're about to have an encounter with Aslan the lion, who represents Christ in the story. Now, two talking animals, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, prepare the children for the encounter. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall fear rather... I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, said Mrs. Beaver. And make no mistake, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, says Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver's telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. Ah, but he's good. And he's the king, I tell you. And most of all, God demonstrated his wisdom on a cross, on a hill in Jerusalem to display To display his wisdom towards you and me. The world sees this as backward, trite, and stupid. God sees the cross as wise. If you need a picture of wisdom this morning... Picture the wisdom of God and then look at the cross. It was wisdom who hung there. You see, it was wisdom that took your sins upon himself. It was wisdom who made you alive because you were dead. 
It was wisdom that regenerated you to such a degree that you love him even though you've never seen him. It was wisdom who took away your guilt and shame. Wisdom paid the penalty of your sin because of his great love towards you. Wisdom ascended to heaven and is preparing a place for you for all eternity. Wisdom watches over you in every facet of your life because he loves you. Wisdom will never leave you nor forsake you. And wisdom is in the process of making you wise. How? That is, wisdom is working to conform you into his image. What an amazing God we serve. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, that you chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, that your foolishness is wiser than the wisest man, and that your heart towards us is true wisdom, which is a relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for making us wise. I feel led to do something that I haven't done in a while, but with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have never surrendered your life, if you, if you feel confused, depressed, full of anxiety, maybe you're suffering from depression, maybe you've tried lots of different avenues of wisdom and it hasn't worked, Jesus is the answer and he loves you and he's calling you to himself. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can pass from darkness into light right now. You can have all of your sins forgiven and you can have a brand new heart, a brand new desire and a brand new life. Would you just pray in the quietness of your heart with me? Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I surrender my life to you. And I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take my life as best as I know how. I give it to you. Fill me with joy, with peace, with your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.